0: in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.
1: Struck out. You kid. Had me figured from the beginning. Wouldn't take the bait. Toyed with me. Can't believe it. The patrols are still in the woods? Worse than that, he's ordered reinforcements. Either Klink has smartened up or I've lost my touch. Well, now <laughs> Klink's really got us boxed in. Right we're sitting here with the most important piece of film we've ever handled. Farside tries even a probing attack on the coast of France. Could mean the difference between living and dying for a lot of people. Colonel Hogan, I will get that film out of Stalag 13 for you, because I, Adolf Hitler, am basically a lovable person. <laughs> How can you kid around at a time like this? You know what we're up against? I just laid it out for you. Sorry, Colonel. Well, you should be, imitating that nut in Berlin. It's not all that funny. Wait a minute. It's really not all that funny.
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, May 10, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. no, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be all right. And welcome to the show today. We're 519-661-3600 is a number you can call to reach us or email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today on the show, we have a kind of... Uh, controversial subject would you say robert i wouldn't you wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> you know what not to me no not to me either that's exactly not the point and we're talking about of course the great kerfuffle that rose up in city hall and here in the city of london last week over councillor steve orser bringing some supposed nazi propaganda to city council over uh, or during the debate on fluoride so uh Anyways, the whole thing has started, you know, I'd like to, today we'd like to disentangle the three very different and nothing to do with each other issues that have become hopelessly entangled in this uh, collective outrage against Steve Orser's use of this propaganda. And the three issues, of course, are the issue of fluoride itself uh, in the city's tap water, the issue of Steve Orser himself and the issue of the apparent taboo on bringing up Nazis and Hitler or anything in public discussions, which is probably going to be the main focus of the majority of the show today. And, you know, here's what kind of kicked it off, and I'll just start off with this article from the London Free Press by Chip Martin on May 4th, 2012, and he writes that former members of London City Council say the clown prince of today's council, Stephen Orser, went too far this week, even for him and they don't mince words. He has smeared a lot of politicians past, present, and future, former Councillor Cheryl Miller. I think he should be disciplined, former Councillor Gina Barber. There's no excuse for this, none, former Councillor Sandy Levin. This is way over the top, former Councillor David Winninger. I think he has lost his ability to effectively lead, former Councillor Megan Walker. During Council's debate this week about whether to continue fluoridating London water, Orser placed a flyer on the desks desks of his colleagues. It linked water fluoridation to Nazi Germany, claiming it was used in concentration camps to subdue inmates. The flyer featured a photo of Adolf Hitler and a swastika. Orser, a strong opponent of fluoride, offered a feeble explanation before realizing he'd gone too far and apologized. Mayor Joe Fontana immediately accepted it. Orser said he was trying to find out whether fluoride was used against prisoners of of, of war, information he got online, and a question he tried to ask at a public participation meeting. But he said he ran out of his allotted five minutes and never got the chance. (laughs) That was it. There was no other intent behind it at all, said Orser, adding he was deeply sorry and won't resign. Asked if he could understand how such a poster would be offensive, Orser said, anything anti-Semitic is not even on the radar. With all due respect, there were many people in prison. Orser has become an embarrassment for the current council where decorum, says Miller, is appalling. From the vantage point of someone who's covered council and committee uh, committee since the 1970s, Miller is right. It's never been so bad, end of quote. I disagree there. Miller is actually a councillor on one of the worst city councils ever in this city. Well, there's a history of that, isn't there?
3: And notice that all the former city
2: councillors that Chip Martin interviewed, they are all very left-wing, including Cheryl Miller. Ex- exactly. And uh, that's not without a reason, which, of course, of course we're going to be getting into it. Yeah. Now, of course, the, the attack went a lot further with Megan Walker, and, um, you know, she got Andy Utman on side over at CJBK last week. And Andy Utman, you, you know, here's where Steve Orser became part, part of the problem. Obviously, he's got a lot of baggage with him or as Andy Utman called it, a colorful past. And Utman um, said, you know, he'd rather, he doesn't want to talk about uh, about his colorful past and just saying that, you know, it's a big problem and everybody knows about it. But Megan Walker got on the air with him, and she was, of course, uh, suggesting that Steve Orser should resign. And, um, you know, that he has to apologize to the community, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, Here's what she said. She says, and she was talking about Joe Swann in this response, because Joe Swan kind of defended Orser a little bit, saying he got kind of passionate and just got a bit carried away and, and you know he told him right away this is not the right way to go. And she writes, or she says on the show, I'm really disappointed in Joe Swan's response to the issue. This is not an issue about somebody's being passionate. This is an issue about an individual who displays Nazi propaganda on a council floor in discussing a local issue. This has been an affront to every single person who knows someone that was tortured or killed during a Nazi holocaust. And this is not an issue to be minimized. And she talks about how Orser hasn't shown any remorse. She says he has no idea of what impact he's had on the people who have suffered. And she says Orser has no respect for his community, no boundaries. He will do whatever he can to sensationalize an issue, even if it means hurting numerous people. And anyone who just argues that Orser was passionate, says Walker, is every bit as
3: involved and guilty as Stephen Orser My himself. My God, I could, I, could, I could turn those comments around and put
2: them right on Megan Walker Exactly. Well. <laughs> you could just change names and, and, you know, pot, call, and kettle. Yep. This, is, this was appalling, and this man has no business um, um, to this in council, to do this in council. He should have been removed from the debate. We're talking about a man who does not understand that you do not bring Nazi propaganda into a council meeting anywhere. Now, here's the reason. Ready? Because 11 to 17 million people were killed. Huh? Because 11 to 17 million people were killed. That's oh. the reason you don't bring Nazi propaganda into a city council. Oh, I see. That's the only reason given out of all, all, all the complaints. Was, was the propaganda uh, correct? What did the propaganda say? Well, we're getting to that. And she says, this is a man who has no basic understanding of how inappropriate it is, and again repeats, you don't bring, just kept repeating that you don't bring Hitler propaganda into meetings. What about Stalin propaganda? 40 million killed. What about Mao? Exactly. You know? And what about the propaganda Pot- that, that's, that's in City Hall every day? The UN propaganda that they get? They follow UN procedures. It's not local. Hello? It's not local. And Socialist International, for heaven's sakes, and, and and they just voted on a European against the European free trade deal, which is not even their, you know, yes, their <laughs> jurisdiction. And then here's Megan Walker talking about local elections, and um, and I still remember her dancing fondly. I remember her dancing a jig on the city council table when she left. <laughs> So, so much for respect for city council. Half of London was dancing at well, when she left. <laughs> maybe. And then she says, leaders need to show consistency. Steve Orser has been consistently stupid. This is about an individual who has consistently offended the community, consistently apologized, doesn't know what he's doing wrong. It's an offense to democracy, an offense to the community. If you don't know the difference between right and wrong, how can you do your job? He has perpetuated the myth that Nazis used fluoride in concentration camps. So what do you think that? Uh, oh, I've got a lot to say about it all. Um, not specifically about Orser or Megan no, Walker, really, but about the issue it's about, not about using them. Nazi propaganda, exactly. And uh, but just let's put this um, fluoride thing behind us a bit. Um, letter to the editor, Glenn Amory, on May seventh, kind of wrote to defend Steve Orser. And he, under the heading, counselors failed to listen, he wrote, people need to stop, drop the Steve Orser racist accusation. People should Google fluoride used in concentration camps. You can really see there is solid evidence and references confirming his statement. <coughs> now, I did that, and we'll talk about that a little later, and we'll hear a, a clip of one of the things I found from doing that Google, okay? Um, Orser apologized to anyone offended and spoke of how his own father was in a concentration camp and how he wanted to know if other councillors had read the same information. Orser also stated Health Canada's own website stated children under two should not drink fluorinated water at the seven, at the 0.7 milligrams per liter that London fluoridates. Mayor Joe Fontana and other councillors completely ignored that fact as they ignored dozens of other... Disturbing fluoride safety facts, which is true, actually. I think that's true. And pro fluoridation uh, supporter Paul Connett, who is the director of Fluoride Action Network. He's also been a guest on Ann Utman's show and on other media around, and uh, he has written a book, The Case Against Fluoride. Very well researched, well spoken, seems to know its stuff. And he says, if you want the science, please read our book, The Case Against Fluoride, supported by 80 pages of references. Neither Health Canada nor your health unit can answer these arguments or find an expert to debate me in public. Promote fluoridation if you would, but please don't call your promotion science based. It is closer to a religion supported by dogma, not by scientific evidence. Taxpayers deserve better than propaganda from their civil servants. After all, they pay their salary, not the dental lobby, <laughs> End quote. And I'm going, what? Propaganda? Out of City Hall? Isn't that Nazism? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't the Nazis the propagandists? Isn't you know, spreading or acting on false information a function of a statist totalitarian government? Like uh, Nazis, maybe? <laughs> i have some fun with this, Robert. It, it, um, it's not funny, you know, in a way, and yet it is, because what's really going on is something else. And um, you had something to say on that before I carry on? Said, no, actually, the fluoride intre- uh,
3: fluoride um, issue doesn't really interest me. I mean, we shouldn't have fluoridate our water for the same reason we shouldn't put any chemicals in the water other than those necessary to make the water drinkable. End of it. That's, well,
2: it. that's it. That's it. And, you know, everyone agrees that fluoride is topically okay. You know? Topically. You put it on your teeth, that's fine. It's in toothpaste. Mm. That's, and- that's, that's all you need. Right. <laughs> Now, I found another letter in May 3rd's London Free Press written by Jennifer Woodward, who writes, If you want to say that fluoride causes cancer or is dangerous in the amounts added to London's water, please provide sources. They need to be credible sources done by actual scientists, not something you read online, posted by someone who believes that one should wear tinfoil hats to block alien mind rays. (laughs) Thanks for that, Jennifer. Mm. But it is very indicative of the debate, isn't it? So what I would have to ask someone like her is, please provide us with a list of what sources you would deem to be acceptable, along with a list of your approved scientists, and uh, whose approval seems to be more important than the actual reality or facts surrounding knowledge of the issue. And that's what happens when people always lean on the authority argument, you know. They get their ideas and their permissions and their knowledge from authority. And... You know, when someone says they need accreditation of a particular discoverer or scientist, then they're implicitly admitting they don't understand the issue, right? Right? Or the evidence, on their own merit, once it's presented to them. They can't make up their mind, right? In an open and visible forum. Orser himself already cited Health Canada's own website with the stats. Paul Conant's book lists 80 pages of sources and references, and I think, Jennifer, it's it's her responsibility to evaluate whether the science is accurate or not. You, how else are you going to do that? You can't keep asking one scientist and another, all who've, who have their own narrow range of interests and aren't even ans- answering your question in the way it should be. Um, you know, No scientist will ever be able to help anyone make a proper philosophical decision that is required to the resolution of this dispute. So, appeal to authority, that certainly is the uh, philosophical term applicable here. You know, basically, when you say that, you're saying, I believe in authority, and those who don't have authority's approval, well, they wear tinfoil hats to block alien mind rays. <laughs> right? That's basically the argument. In other words, you are attacking the messenger and dismissing the person who's saying it, which is, in some cases, a perfectly legitimate thing to do. Like this next guy we're going to hear in this coming-up clip, and perhaps with good reason. Now, he- here's a sample of what I found when I checked out um, Glenn Emery, the letter writer, his uh, Google search that he suggested. And where you can also find links to sources that debunk what you are about to hear. So, just to make it clear, the views expressed in the following excerpt do not necessarily <laughs> represent the views of anyone sitting here at these microphones because, uh, basically, uh, this is how a lot of these false views get into being. This is this actually talks about the source of where that... Um, original myth about nazis using the fluoride in their in their uh, concentration camps came from and whether true or not i'll leave to the historians but right now the verdict is in that that is not the case so what you're about to hear is just a source of pro- perhaps where steve Orser got his information and we'll continue the discussion on the other side of this
4: bring in fluoride in the water and of course all around the world they're doing that In america fluoride in the water good for teeth crap in in toronto the guy called lineback who was one of the greatest um, supporters um, of fluoride in the water he's the head of dentistry at toronto university he's come out now and said for god's sake don't have it don't have it and as he was saying they've had it in the water for years decades in toronto they don't have it in the water in vancouver there are fewer cavities by a mile per head of population in Vancouver than there are in Toronto. Hey, it's good for teeth. Hey, wait, let's see what it's really about. Do you know when fluoride was first put in drinking water? In the Nazi concentration camp. Stands back in amazement, can't believe it. This is Charles Perkins, a chemist, who wrote to the Lee Foundation for Nutritional Research, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in 1954, and this is what he wrote. In the 1930s, Hitler and the German Nazis envisaged a world to be dominated and controlled by a Nazi philosophy of Pan-Germanism. The German chemists worked out a very ingenious and far-reaching plan of mass control, which was submitted to and adopted by the German General Staff. This plan was to control the population in any given area through mass medication of drinking water supplies. By this method, they could control the population in whole areas. Reduced population by water medication that would induce sterility in women and so on. In this scheme of mass control, sodium fluoride occupied a prominent place. That's what it's about.
5: Do you recall what Clemenceau once said about war? Uh, no, I didn't think I do. sir, no. yeah. He said war was too important to be left to the generals. When he said that, 50 years ago, he might have been right. But today, war is too important to be left to politicians. They have neither the time, the training, Or the inclination for strategic thought. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion, and the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids.
2: I thought that was funny. That of course is from the movie Doctor Strange Love or How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love the Bomb. Is that the byline? Something like I think like so. That. I love that movie. It's great. <laughs> the now, ta- yeah. And they, of course they were gonna drop the bomb on those not nasty communists. Now you know I'm certainly no fan of Steve Orser's, a lot of his behaviour, nor his policies that were also mentioned in the Chip Martin article, which included promoting backyard chickens, full-time counsellors, blank checks for police and fire departments, identifying sex offenders' addresses... And apparently his own heavy spending on umbrellas and other trinkets from his council office. Well, I could use an umbrella, Steve, if you want to send me one. (laughs) Now, of all the issues, apparently the item that has gone too far for our local media and ex-councillors is this distribution of this Nazi war propaganda thing. Now, you and I, we have a picture of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really that offensive. Where have I got it here? The picture itself. I mean, it's just the fact of the fact that there is a picture of Hitler and a swastika I think on what it. I should do is when we put this episode online I should try to get a copy of that yes. and put it there in the uh, on our blog post and then there's a picture of a young girl beside him uh, over which it says in German, Jungen dient dem Führer, which means the youth serves the Führer. She's got pearly white teeth, too. Yes. And, um, <laughs> but the part that stapled that's on top of it says fluoride. Nazi Germany used water fluoridation in concentration camps to sterilize the humans and force them into calm submission. That's not part of the original poster. It's clear by looking at it. Well, first like of all, it's in English. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, that's a giveaway. But it was just attached to it. So that's where that all came from. But I think Steve Orser doesn't know it, but he went and pushed the red button when he so outraged all of the socialists who condemned the use of his Nazi material. And, but being red himself, he's kind of powerless to respond. He's not the guy to be playing this card. He can't do it. And which gets us to the larger issue. I'm going to pull away a little bit from this, but it's kind of hard to disentangle them now. Nazism... And Hitler and all of Nazi Germany has become a symbol on their own. Remember how we talked about symbolism a couple weeks ago? Yes. But what does that represent and to whom? When people react to a non-event, like a Nazi propaganda poster sitting on a counselor's desk, then, then you have to ask yourself, there's something else going on besides the poster. And to my way of thinking, there was only one objective way in which the poster could have been seen as being offensive. And I understand that. Yet I haven't heard one person explicitly state it. Maybe that's what's missing here. And that is because uh, it was the real offense to, to be taken, and maybe it was meant to be taken. Maybe that was the point. Because if the purpose of distributing the Nazi poster was to suggest that London City Council had fundamentally evil intentions to consciously hurt others by fluoridating the municipality's water, then maybe you might consider it offensive, wouldn't you? No, I consider it appropriate. Well, what if you believed otherwise? Wouldn't you think you were being offended? Because that's basically, um, maybe that's what he meant. The only
3: way I could be offended by looking at a picture of Hitler and a swastika and this Nazi propaganda is if I was in a concentration camp or a victim of of Nazis. uh, uh, True. Not talking
2: about that, but with the fluoride message being delivered to City Hall. I don't now you attach it, to it, it at because all. that's the debate. No, if, but if you were a counselor on the other side of the debate, maybe you would be. Yeah. And maybe that's why. London Mayor Joe Fontana was quoted in the free press saying on May 7th, quote, there isn't anyone around this table who wants to hurt anyone. Fluoride has helped low-income Canadians with good dental health, he said. And, of course, it was a two-to-one margin in favor of retaining the city's fluoridation in the water. And they were supported by a city staff report that cited Health Canada's conclusion that, quote, when added to water at a rate of 1.5 milligrams, it was not associated with any ill health effects. London adds about half of that, the city manager of water quality said, end quote. And, of course, saying he didn't trust them, Orser dismissed Health Canada's report and advocated the precautionary principle that was used to ban pesticides as the grounds for eliminating fluoride in the city tap water. But I think that was a mistake, too, using the precautionary principle. Because you can act on a precautionary principle, but you cannot persuade or make an argument on it. That's an error. Because when you do that, you weaken your argument. You end up saying effectively that you aren't really sure of your side of the argument. I could be wrong, and just in case I am right, you should take the, go by the precautionary principle and do what I tell you to do. And that just doesn't sit right with me in any way, shape, or form. And I only wish people would use a precautionary principle when it came to governments and politicians, but that's not one place we go. So I think the point that has been missed, and this is about fascism in general and Nazism specifically, is that the visible evil that so often reveals itself in the symptoms of these forms of government is not necessarily the result of some explicit intent on the part of anyone to particularly hurt another person. Unintended consequences, I think, is a term given. There are those people, but for the most part, I don't think that's the reasoning. And unintended consequences is the term given to the harm caused by legislation enacted for other purposes. You always hear that in other legislation. Maybe you want to cut a tax law and you find out uh, you're creating unemployment or something like that, unintended consequence. But you don't know whether it's unintended or not. Maybe it was intended if the person who did it understood the consequences of his actions. And, you know, the evils are a consequence of the form of government itself, not the people in them. So in the case of Joe Fontana, based on what I just quoted him saying, you could be concluding that uh, his motivation for supporting the continued fluoridation of the waters is because he sees it as a way to distribute free, but taxpayer-paid dental health to the poor through the city's plumbing system. That's basically what he said. We can deliver, you know, health care to the people who are poor. So the people who know that they are being harmed by fluoride, in their minds, don't exist in the, idea, in the eyes of uh, you know, the people who support fluoride. And here's the interesting thing. There has never been any disagreement over the positive effects of fluoride when applied topically to the enamel of the teeth. Neither side in this debate disagrees with this. The real debate is supposed to be about the broader health effects of fluoride when ingested internally and in unregulated and unmeasured doses, and about the ethical and moral considerations involved in administering a non-essential, which it is, it's not not essential to water quality, uh, to the water supply in a non-informed and non-consensual way. That's the issue. And that debate never happened. Bottom line from the pro-fluoride supporters, it's good for your teeth. Duh. You just can't get around that argument. It's good for your teeth. We can put knives in your back. It's good for your teeth, you know? The, there's, there's no, no. sorry, it's not good for your teeth when you ingest it. Well, that's true, but they don't even... They, they, they ignore that argument. They just keep saying it's good for your teeth, and we find that where we put it in the water, people's teeth get better, which may well be the case. I'm not going to argue with that. Maybe the case, but it's also... But there's
3: also probably the case that at the time that we started fluoridating water... They also started adding fluoride to things like toothpaste. Yes. So most but of Europe, most of Europe does not uh, use fluoridated water. Correct. And they don't have as uh, bad teeth as the British used to have. <laughs> as a matter of fact,
2: in Britain is one of the few
3: places that they still fluoridate water.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, my understanding is if you've got good teeth, it's more of a, a thing of genetics and and good habit. If you got both of them, sure. you got the ideals. Since but, when did um, it become a job of a pr- municipal government? To take care of people's dental uh, care since socialists began running. The oh, oh, okay, yes, so that okay, makes sense. that's what does it. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just one. You know, with that declaration, putting the, the fluoride in the water, they're basically saying they can do whatever they want with the water and feed us whatever they want as long as they think it's good for us and whether we want it or
3: not. You know, next they're going to be putting in uh, acetic acid or aspirin because uh, half an aspirin a day is
2: supposedly Precisely. going to prevent and why strokes. Not? Why not? Yeah, why not? It's good for you. I can I can cite you all kinds of reports, Robert. Yep. So why isn't it in the water? And you see, that's just another symptom of a fascist approach to government, which is why they're all so offended. Government control over private decisions within the sphere of private choice and private activity. No case was made why the government had to do this and and not make it a private choice and responsibility. What's wrong with doing that? And so the question arises, does that make the counselors who supported the continued fluoridation of our water a bunch of Nazi sympathizers? No, of course not. That is not the point. The Nazi references, when properly used in a broader context, are a symbol, to me at least, not of any particular person or people, but of a political and social condition that we should all be working hard to identify and prevent, because you just don't want to go there. You cannot take freedom for granted. So don't give up your freedom because you want to take your dental health for, for granted. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how we sell out our freedom. Yeah. So even when a red like Steve Orser himself occasionally flashes the red alert of, of a state exceeding its legitimate boundaries, you gotta, You got to wonder what's going on. You know, Ayn Rand once made the case, and I'm not quoting her here, I'm just paraphrasing in my own version of this, uh, the case about the type of person who argues... Um, I never advocated a dictatorship, and then confesses that all I wanted was free health care, free education, smoking banned in restaurants, fluoride in my water, a ban on the sale of bottled water in municipal establishments, the CBC to entertain and inform me, the government to stimulate the economy for jobs, controls on capital and economic trade, a clean environment brought about by cuts to production, high taxes, windmills, solar panels, make the rich pay but I never advocated a dictatorship, <laughs> right? Beautiful. It's the old fascism and frogs phenomenon, and every single one of those points is fascist. Every one. And to call a person a fascist because he supports one and not the others might be a bit unfair, but you must understand the difference and the distinctions between each policy. And you end up with a fascist state. Surprise, surprise, just like the Germans were surprised. They were all well-meaning people. The Germans were not... a People known for cruelty and punishment, and trying to kill the world. That's not they how we're a happened. nation of poets and philosophers. Absolutely, as are all advanced um, societies. So, fascism is the greatest threat to our existence, and our lives, liberties, and properties are all directly threatened by straight state involvement in the economic and personal choices of the citizen. And that is what the whole issue is about. When we return, a reminder of why. Hitler was a socialist, and why he was popular in the Germany of his time, and why the Jews became a target of the Nazis, because people seem to have forgotten about that in the whole debate. Back after this, when we return. Here's a
1: wedding plan. Pretty cool, huh? This one's for you. made copies for everybody.
2: And a
4: lemonade. Perfect. dude. saves me the trouble of doing it. Tom, can I ask you
0: something? You went with uh, Helvetica for the invitations. And In your wedding colors are red and black?
2: Yeah. Ooh, it was just together they kind of scream socialism, you know? Casey's gonna
1: decline. Well, Sarah and I thought they were pretty nice.
5: I bet. So did Chairman Mao. Hmm?
1: I guess I could talk to Sarah about it. I would.
5: Anyways, listen, I have a big day planning to buy
2: more for Casey, so I'm gonna get out of here. Good luck.
0: <sighs>
2: hey, a lot to talk about. Have yeah, fun. <laughs> hey. Silly,
1: quick little question. Do our wedding colors remind you of socialism? In a good way? Is there a good way? Uh, you know, I don't want to make a thing out of it, so let's just call Daphne and see what she thinks. Yeah, get her on speakerphone. I love that gal.
0: together in the fight for freedom. In his first visit to the home of the brave, the German Chancellor received a warm welcome from the Big Apple. He greeted enthusiastic crowds in Times Square and took in the view from the top of the Empire State Building. Watch that first step. Later, the Fuhrer paid a call to Lady Liberty, where he was given the keys to the city. The whirlwind tour was capped off by a four-hour speech to city leaders where the Führer outlined his vision for a prosperous alliance between Germany and America. Vowing to root out the parasitic elements that have crippled our economy since 1929 and to liberate the masses from the grip of financial profiteers. Together, we will put Americans back to work. Two great nations marching side-by-side toward a bold future.
2: Wow, sign me up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're
3: tuned to Just Right on CHRW Radio 94.9 FM, where you can give us a call at 519-661-3600 if you'd like to join our conversation, or send us some uh, feedback at our email address, which is feedback at justrightmedia.org. And I would encourage any of our fans out there to go to our website at justratemedia.org, And there you can find all of our shows from the the past, about 249 shows, I believe. And also links to a number of other um, ways to get hold of us, including our Twitter and uh, Facebook. You can like us on Facebook. And you can go to uh, our YouTube channel and subscribe to that, because we've got about 24 videos there now. And they uh, are not just videos... Of our shows. They're videos of interviews, they're videos of uh, special events that have happened throughout the city and um, and even in Toronto. Um, things like interviews with uh, Paul Weston, uh, Christopher Monkton, um, Israel Truth Week, uh, uh, Israeli totalitarianism. Uh, of course, there are some of our shows. And there's of some past, of our shows yeah. as well, yes. Yeah, so select that's. Select uh, few. Uh,
2: We're still getting more up, and we don't do them all on video, but we do no, a select no. number. Usually when we have a guest. But that's YouTube.
3: Slash Just Right Media. That's our channel. Also, you may want to know that both Bob and I have our own blogs. Bob's is at uh, RobertMetz.ca, and mine is at robertvon.ca. <laughs> is that your way of forcing me to get get yeah. back on mine and start <laughs> updating it? <laughs> Actually, I'm a little behind as well. Anyway, those are all our self aggrandizement little promos. Let's go back to uh, Let's go back to Hitler. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Springtime for Hitler. Yeah, You know what um, Stephen Orser did was actually effectively end the debate, and there's actually a law about what he did. It's called Godwin's Law, and I'll just cite from Wikipedia here. Godwin's Law, or also called Godwin's Rule of Nazi analogies, or Godwin's Law of Nazi analogies, is an observation made by Mike Godwin in 1990 that has become an internet adage. It states... As an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's a tradition in many news groups and other Internet discussion forums that uh, once such a comparison is made, the thread is finished, and whoever mentioned the Nazis has automatically lost whatever debate was in progress. Thanks, Stephen Orser. (laughs) You effectively ended the debate, even though this is not the Internet,
2: I think, that Godwin's Law applies. Yeah, and it was on his side of the debate that he ended it. Because he was on the... Actually, I thought he was on the right side of the issue. yeah If not for the wrong reasons, obviously. Right side,
3: wrong... Uh, wrong yes, wrong reasons. Now, I've been in analyzing this as well, and while I don't really give two jots about Stephen Orse, or even I'm not either interested in the fluoride debate or any of that, what I do find fascinating is that whenever anybody brings up Hitler or Nazis... Um, they are automatically shut down, just as Godwin's law says. Now, why is that? And I think it's because the left have found an ingenious way of stifling debate and free speech, or of making a person's argument appear cruel, and thereby forcing those who would probably agree with the person distance themselves from him for fear of being associated with the cruelness. And that weapon is offense. That's where, if there's any even the slightest possibility that any issue might cause offense to any person or group of any size, then the person is ridiculed for bringing it up and thereby losing any debate by reason of the ridicule. And here's some examples of uh, people of a certain group are the only ones who can either make fun of or even comment on that group. That's that's part of it. Jews, for example, can make fun of Jews, but Gentiles can't. Blacks can call blacks the N-word, but whites can't. Europeans uh, motives are are questioned if they dare to suggest that the uh, poor state of Aboriginal life in Canada may be due in part to their own tribal culture. And if you're a fan of Tim Minchin, which I am, only a ginger can call another (laughs) ginger ginger. (laughs) You got to be part of that group, otherwise you're going to cause offence, and therefore you're going to be ridiculed. But the one that is strictly verboten in society today and that, and the one that is really going to definitely put you in the on the losing side of any debate is bringing up the nazi comparison or the hitler comparison
2: and it really shouldn't as we've already mentioned Yeah, there is such a thing as legitimate offense and being legitimately offended but you certainly shouldn't have any legal protection f- for it because of i'm not. i'm legitimately offended daily oh god yes <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not running to the police or politicians to say please protect me from these ideas which offend me that's because you're a bigger person
3: than a lot of people out there who continually whine about people offending them. I don't know
2: that they're really offended. You know, I think it's fake. I think it's a fake Crocodile tears. Crocodile tears to eliminate an argument with which they cannot deal. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. They've got that little trick up their sleeve. Oh, I'm offended. You're wrong.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's stop talking about this uh, item I don't understand. Let's go back in history (laughs) to 1951 when Leo Strauss coined the phrase reductio ad Hitlerum to identify the fallacy of irrelevance in which a conclusion is suggested based solely on someone's origin rather than the current meaning, also called guilt by association. Now, this is the fallacious argument that Councillor Orser is making. Hitler may have used fluoride for nefarious reasons. Therefore, anybody who uses fluoride is going to invade Poland. It doesn't make sense, right? There's guilt by association. However, the uproar, usually by the left, but not always against any use of Nazi comparisons precludes anyone from ever using such a comparison, even though such a comparison might be an apt one. For example, the left hate to be reminded that Hitler and the Nazis were socialists. And while it might be a very valid argument to make the connection between current socialist policies and those of the Nazis, any such comparison is considered offensive, and the left is off the hook, And gets away with being in many cases just as authoritarian if not more as the nazis were in their similar policy decisions but the third reich has also been known for atrocities far greater in scope than simply being socialists starting the second world war for example and the attempt to exterminate the jews by genocide but what is really taught in schools today and this is the real tragedy what's rarely taught in schools today and has generally been forgotten, was the Nazis were socialists. Not just nationalists, but socialists. That's where they get their name. Nationalists, socialists, Nazis. They supported the same destructive socialist policies that modern-day socialists, liberals and conservatives alike, do. Universal daycare, universally accessible health care, universal pensions for the aged etc. all Nazi stuff.
2: You know, I was asked this question by someone when I told them we were doing this show and they said you should ask the question, which we kind of did with that opening clip we just had. What if Hitler had been elected in Canada, say 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Oh, I'm going to talk about that. What would Canada look like today? Well, just like it does pretty you much. Just the wait right now. So <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you know the
3: Nazis are just like modern socialists and they share the same fundamental political philosophy, that being the servitude of the individual to the authoritarian demands of the state. The parallels are very clear. As a matter of fact, there was a book written about it all, and it was called The Ominous Parallels by uh, Leonard Peikoff, and I think it was written in 82, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So it's been around for quite a while, and he um, historically paints a picture of what brought about the rise of Hitler and how those same um, meticulously precursors. documented, meticulously, by the way. Like
2: every yeah. word, every philosopher, every statement, and the action right. accorded to it and how it, it came and about. And then he shows how those same precursors are here in, well, he's an American, so
3: here. Actually, he's a Canadian-American, um, are in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so don't be surprised as this Nazi card keeps being flashed because the comparisons are there. But the only difference today... In that comparison, is the malevolence against the individual that Hitler felt extended to outright murder, war, and genocide? Whereas the more refined Fabian socialists of today are molding society into their own universal Fourth Reich, slowly and methodically, avoiding the distasteful mistakes of the German nationalist socialists.
2: Only for a period of time, I think. I don't think. I don't think they can avoid them permanently. I think that what happened in Hitler. You know, there's that old st- st- saying that. Um, history history repeats itself. It's been that's been changed, but history doesn't exactly repeat itself, but it always rhymes, as they say. And that you know, even today, look at look at the anti Semitism in the world and in Canada and even on the campuses across the country. In today's paper they've Unheard got this
3: French comedian coming to Montreal. They won't allow him to speak anywhere over on most of the venues in France because of his anti Semitic views, he's sold out in Montreal. Mm-hmm that's that's where we're coming to we're not only uh, getting the social we're not only getting the socialist aspect of nazism we're now getting the anti-semitic aspects of nazism in, in this country so you're right bob wait for the other shoe to drop
5: There's just wait for, happens, the, for the but... brown
3: shirts to go walk through the streets i mean it's it sounds like we're it sounds unbelievable
2: no you can it can be but prevented. it's going to be true it can always be prevented by changing direction, but if we don't change direction, it will not be prevented. That's how I look at things. That's right. You know, when you said that uh, what if Hitler was elected, you know, in fact, I'd
3: surmise that if Hitler had not been a nationalist or a racist and as murderous as he was, you know, a Third Reich would have been created under his leadership and would resemble, in many respects, the Europe of today, if not the Canada of today. A single nation under a single financial regime led by unaffected un, i'm sorry unelected bureaucrats ruling a populace of indolent children with an entitlement mentality where the businessman and entrepreneur is taxed and regulated into servitude to the almighty state that describes Europe today and that i think would have described a third reich had hitler not been the racist and murderer that he was I agree anyway we got a break coming up here what are we going to listen to here, Bob?
2: Um, well, this is actually from uh, a show that made fun of the Nazis and Hitler and used it all the time, and it was yes. amazingly popular. And it was called Hogan's Heroes, which Love we show. heard from the opening clip. And we're going to—that's what the rest of the show is about. And, and here was a comedy show that openly laughed at a, at what was really a Holocaust. Yep. You know. And to me, that was the way to deal with it. It was a good way of dealing with it and getting ideas across and getting to to the populace perhaps some of the things that were wrong in that period and time of Germany's past. We'll return after this to continue our discussion.
1: I'm sorry, Commandant, didn't know you had company. Hogan, why don't you knock? Uh, This is Colonel Hogan, Senior POW Officer. Hi.
5: Colonel, haven't we met before?
1: Gosh, no. I'd never forget
0: you.
5: Strange. (laughs) You look very familiar to me.
0: Hogan is a very common type. What do you want, Hobart?
1: Carter and I were having an argument I wanted to prove something to him and I couldn't find my copy of Mein Kampf I wonder if I could borrow yours My copy? You do have a copy of Mein Kampf
0: Oh, oh yes, of course I wonder where I put it It don't seem to remember It is here, I know
1: Never mind, I'll do it from memory Now, the question was, today Germany, tomorrow the world, the day after tomorrow, we'll see. What does that mean? It means there is one justice, one love, and Hitler wants it for the whole world, today and tomorrow. I don't agree. That's because you're blind. You've been taken in by the decadent philosophy of the Allies. Don't you see what the Fuhrer's trying to say?
5: Colonel Hogan. Yes. May I have a word with you? You seem to have very unusual ideas for an American prisoner of war.
1: I've had a chance to think and see since I've been here and it's changed my ideas a lot I uh, realize that the new Germany is the new world
5: If you feel that way, why not tell the world?
1: (laughs) Gosh Who'd care how I feel?
5: I would So would a lot of other people You must share your thoughts with them
1: How can I do that?
5: On the radio, tonight, with me Oh, I couldn't Oh, you
1: must Is that an order? Yes All right Gosh. I feel like a Nazi already. <laughs> hey,
5: now we have a real surprise for you. An American prisoner of war who has some interesting things to tell you. You are Colonel Hogan of the United States Army Air Corps?
1: That's one of my names.
5: W- one of your names?
1: Well, I had another name when I was in prison. <laughs> Naturally, you don't give your right name in a case like that. <laughs>
5: you w- were in prison?
1: Three times. <laughs> Bomber, Colonel,
5: you've had an opportunity to observe the new Germany and the United States. Now, how would you compare them?
1: Oh, no comparison at all. Back home, everybody thinks for themselves, all those decisions to make. Here, one man thinks for everyone. Saves a lot of work. I'm, uh... I mean, take the Russian front. That was Hitler's idea. Yet, I think it's so wonderful you don't hear one word of criticism about
2: it.
5: Red, read Mein Kampf, I believe?
1: Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, you know that guy Hitler that wrote it? A lot of people think just because he wears that silly mustache the book's a lot of junk. <laughs> <laughs> will play another favorite selection
0: of the Führers. <laughs>
5: Well, Sitzer, so believe me, I didn't know that he was going to...
0: Miss Meiss I believe your usefulness
1: to the Third Reich has come to an end. <laughs> I didn't even get a chance to
3: say what a great guy Hitler is, God. <laughs> I understand we have a caller on the line, Kathy. Hello, caller.
0: Yeah, I was wondering, I always thought about the, uh... Nazi uh persecution of Jews. I I was, I was wondering if it was financially motivated because the Jews had a lot of property. They were very good businessmen. Why not use the extermination of a race as an excuse to grab their holdings and everything they had?
2: Well, that's exactly the reasoning behind why the Jews were exterminated.
0: And yeah, cuz it, like it's the same thing as 9/11, go into another country, invade and use the uh, Use a religion as an excuse to, uh, you know, go in there and uh, get rid of people. Like, that's it really makes you wonder well, was there something else involved other than uh, racism? There, most, defi-
2: most definitely, there was. And uh, thanks for that call, caller, because that's actually the next point I wanted to bring up, you know. I, I did, I, I, dis- I covered this very subject on the 20th show of Just Right way back on August 7th, at a time when I reviewed a book, um, or re- reviewed a review of a book in the National Post by Ali Goetz called Hitler's Beneficiaries. And the book's main message was that the Nazi regime was a popular one, and there was very little resistance to Hitler at the time. And it stresses that the secret of Nazi popularity was not, and they repeat, not the allegedly fanatical anti-Semitism of the German people. Rather, Hitler and the Nazis built a welfare state, I'm quoting right now, that delivered real benefits to German families. This welfare state was paid for by plundering first Germany's Jews and then the conquered nations of Europe. Hitler often gets credit for pulling Germany out of the depression. This claim is false, writes the author. Germany in 1938 remained a poorer country than the Germany of 1928. Hitler launched a military buildup and created major social programs that Germany could not afford. Sound familiar? By 1939, the Nazis were spending 20.5 billion marks on the military and 16.3 billion marks on civilian programs, all supported by only 17 billion marks in tax revenue. We have a spending problem, not a... You know, all those. <laughs> Sounds very familiar. Yes. Protective of his popularity, Hitler refused to tax ordinary Germans to pay for the bills. And throughout the Second World War, democratic Britain accepted much higher taxes than Hitler ever dared impose on totalitarian Germany. Isn't that interesting? Instead, Hitler plunged Germany into debt, equal to over 200% of national income by 1939. Overwhelmed by that debt, the Nazis kept ruin at bay by confiscation and robbery. By 1938, Hitler's finance ministry panicked. Two billion marks of short-term debt was coming due, no means to pay. That crisis p- prodded Hitler to launch um, the, the Kristallnacht program in November 38, and he demanded a $1 billion mark atonement payment from Germany's Jews. Confiscated Jewish wealth averted a Nazi debt default at that point in time. So that's how it always starts. It always starts with the money, and who the person being robbed becomes not only the virtue you're robbing, but you turn that virtue into an evil, so that you can justify the sin of your continuing robbing them. So, and that has been the history of history.
3: You know, the caller was exactly mm-hmm. right on, and it's amazing that you know when people what a are question listening asked. to that. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. I'd like to read just a little bit from uh, Ayn Rand, and here's, by the way, Ayn Rand has been vilified as being akin to a Nazi or fascist,
2: yeah. you know, because um, I don't know why, actually, to tell you the truth, because she's nothing because like she's, it. Because she's Further considered the on the right, and people think that, That's right. that the Nazis are right when they're left.
3: Their red is red. Now, here I'm going to read just a little bit from uh, the Ayn Rand lexicon. And it's uh, originally from the Fascist New Frontier, which was a pamphlet that she wrote, and it's uh, about fascism and Nazism. She says that the difference between socialism and fascism is superficial and purely formal, but it's significant psychologically. It brings the authoritarian nature of a planned economy crudely into the open. The right to property is the right to use and disposal. While under fascism, men retain the semblance and pretense of private property, but the government holds total power over its use and disposal. Boy, this sounds just like mm-hmm. Canada today. You can own your property, but try to do anything with it, and you're going yeah, to you have some a bureaucrat on, knocking on your door. Yeah, they have yeah. to come and give you a license for everything you can do with yourself. Yeah. You go to Canada, you can't even put a clothesline out, or at least you couldn't. Or paint your house a particular color. You know, it's just amazing. If you don't mow your lawn,
2: some bureaucrat will come along and mow it for you and then send you the bill. You know? Well, on some of those issues, it's not that cut and dry. It's not complete totalitarianism. Some of it's property rights. Some of it, yeah, you have to consider other yeah. uh, factors. But um, again, the
3: government officials hold the economic, political, and legal power of life and death over its citizens, says Rand. And a man's possession, uh, position is determined not by his productive ability and achievement, but by political pull and force. Under both systems, that's socialism and fascism, sacrifice is invoked as a magic, omnipotent solution in any crisis. And the public good is the altar on which victims are immolated. Again, sounds just like today, right here. It scorns material comfort and security and keeps extolling some undefined sort of spiritual duty, service, and conquest. And while that may have been the Aryan race of Nazi Germany... Today, it's environmentalism. I'll read that again. Basically, she's saying that fascism scorns material comfort and security. Who do we hear talking about reduce, reuse, recycle, don't buy, commercial free days, right? The environmentalists. And she goes on and keeps extolling some unidentified sort of spiritual duty, service and conquest. This, the environmentalists, it's Gaia,
2: Mother Earth.
3: For you them, know. yes,
2: but there are other Reds too. There are the, yes. the pure NDPers, the, the pure communists who all believe a lot of the same thing. In fact, even the, um, a lot of the um, uh, environmental movement came out of the Nazi Germany movement.
3: Because well, Lord, Lord Monkton says that um, Agenda 21 of the United Nations, which is an environmental agenda, is en-
2: pure Marxism. Yes, it was considered the folkish movement, the environmental movement in 1939, as I'm reading here. And uh, in fact when Hitler built the uh, the autobahn the first one because that was one of the things he was known for mm-hmm. His idea was not that the autobahn was this big anti-environmental thing that you put cars on. It was supposed to take people out to nature, take them away from the city. Was <laughs> oh, <is> that right? <laughs> that was the point. Yeah, <laughs> you could get on the road in your Volkswagen and, and 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 join with nature and go out and join nature, kind of thing. Indeed. The thinking was quite different than it is today. When today they're saying stay home, don't get, t- don't touch that nature, because if you touch it, it will be changed <laughs> in some way, and you will be cursed for the rest of your life. Um, you know. The National Socialist German Workers' Party was in 1932 the largest single party in Germany. And it, wa- it it appealed to all people in all classes because stealing works for a while. You know, if you, get, if you have a politician out there who's going to rob the rich and give it to the poor, the poor are going to love them. Socialism the poor... requires a host. Yes. And at some point, the host is either going to get sick and die or turn on that little pest. Well, it's funny because socialism is a system, and the host it requires is another system, and that's called capitalism. <laughs> but as far as the people go, the socialists, who carry the guns and do all the damage, they are actually hurting real people with you know, taking away their choices, taking away their property. Um, you know, I was looking at my um, encyclopedia, and they talk about how the long-term effects of Nazism on the German people were the complete annihilation of whatever liberalism had survived in any previous regimes. And because Germany was very liberal. Okay, there's the other symptom. Oh, very
3: almost libertine. <laughs> libertine. It was known for its uh, body houses. Well, its not, not, not even that, but, that. but
2: very uh, liberal in the sense of spending money, like we're talking today, capital L, liberal spending, you know, social programs, um, socialized medicine. In uh, 1885, they introduced socialized me- me- uh, medicine under Kaiser Otto von Bismarck. Um, And they instituted workers' compensation, government-run education system, old-age pensions, environmental movement. And in many respects, the Canada of today is the Germany of 1937, 1938-ish. Will we cross that 1939 line, do you think? Do you think we'll go too far? Well, certainly, if people like Megan Walker and all the other socialists keep telling us to close our eyes to the evil that's around us, It will happen. Yeah, don't bring up the Nazi propaganda. It's back to that see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil, just do it. Because if you don't see it and speak it and understand it, you cannot resist it. And if anything, I guess that's our message for today, is it, Robert? It is. Enough with the fluoride and the Nazis. (laughs) 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 Okay, let's leave today, and we'll see you again next week when we'll return with our journey in the right direction. Join us then. Take care. Into color color into black and
0: white under the bedclothes everything will be all right my Fuhrer I had the extreme honor of being presented to you at the rally in Munich uh, just before the war before the war yeah. yeah there was nothing before the war nobody existed before the
1: war of course not my Fuhrer and I will make sure no one will exist after the war
0: <laughs> over and out of your barracks at a time like this I'm
1: sorry, sir. I heard voices. Thought maybe you were having a party. Back
0: to your quarters at once. Just a minute. Who is this Americana? Colonel Robert Hogan, senior prisoner of war, sir, sir. Colonel Hogan, may I present Adolf Hitler, the supreme leader of our German nation?
1: How do you do, sir? I've heard a
0: lot about you. <laughs>